Welcome to Mike's Take, an informed and opinionated view of the world of sport. Hi guys, it's Mike Madoda here. It's been a while, uh, but I thought, listen, let me just uh, dust off the old cobwebs, as it were. The pandemic has uh, well and truly passed its worst here in Zimbabwe. It's uh, beginning to rear its ugly head and in the north, uh, in the northern hemisphere, with uh, Europe seemingly undergoing another lockdown. But um, here in Zimbabwe, I'm sure we can admit that uh, we're well past the worst and uh, we're smack bang in the middle of summer. It looks like it doesn't love the heat because our numbers are beginning to drop. And in the world of sport, which is the area which I play, we're beginning to see a return to action. Now, today, I want to talk to you about, you know, the situation that's engulfed sport in Zimbabwe uh, regards the return to action uh, and so uh, you know what uh, I'm reminded of the time I was growing up you know in the 1980s and 1990s uh, where attending any of the former group A schools was an enormous privilege uh, Zimbabwe sport was in rude health both at grassroots and elite level the golden girls in 1980 if you remember they shocked the world by nabbing hockey gold at the Moscow Olympics and some say that they benefited from the US-led boycott of the games that saw the leading contenders absent in Russia but the truth is you can only beat what's put in front of you and so Zimbabwe certainly wasn't complaining in cricket Zimbabwe announced their arrival on the international scene with a win over Australia at the 1983 World Cup Duncan Fletcher starring with both bat and ball to guide the Chevrons to a victory that made the rest of the world sit up and take notice. So over the next couple of decades, cricket would continue to make strides with the school system churning out some prodigiously talented cricketers. The Flower Brothers, Andy and Grant. Andy went over to Vinona. Grant, I think, was at St. George's. Heat streak from Falcon College. Henry Olonga from Plumtree all of whom starred and played critical roles at the 1999 World Cup, where once again the Chevrons shook up the world order by storming into the Super 6 stage of the tournament. There were others too that will not be remembered as much as those illustrious names that I've mentioned. I went to Jamison High School and we had Clive Chadani. A batsman so good that St. George's famously poached him uh, from the Kadoma school two months into his stint as head boy in 1993. I tell you, cricket was a serious business back then. Let's go to rugby. It was no different. Richard Zimba, the black diamond, he shone the brightest of all the Zim players at the inaugural Rugby World Cup in 1987. He scored two tries in the 21-20 loss to Romania and New Zealand, which will live long in the memory. As will the performances of players like Andy Ferreira and many others that wore the hoops of distinction at the end of that decade. At school, I remember rugby occupied pride of place. Your standing as a student, actually, was often dictated by your ex exploits or lack of uh, on the field. And, uh, you know, places like Jubilee, Weaver and Mainfield became household names amongst our schoolboys. Even a cursory glance at most school layouts back then and even now testifies to the importance of the sport most of the main fields at the former group a schools are either rugby or cricket fields food for thought now there was a clearly defined hierarchy i mean rugby and cricket were the principal sports for boys with hockey and tennis similarly so for the girls basketball and especially football were way down the pecking order 
Caps United legend Alois Bunjira. You know, he's a, a guy I work with every day. He's one of our crack pundits at ZFM Sport. He was something of a teenage prodigy playing for Premiership uh, side Caps United, uh, Blackpool uh, and Darren Tornadoes in the, in the early 90s whilst he was still at Prince Edward. But even he'll be forced to admit that his fellow blue blood from Prince Edward, Costadina, who played for the Tigers, which is, of course, a Prince Edward's rugby team, held greater sway in school circles. So football is viewed as a poor cousin, a sport for the ghettos and rural areas patronized by the unruly mob. And with sport now starting to return to competitive action, it's clear that those attitudes towards the national pastime haven't changed. If anything, snobbery and elitism has become even more entrenched. Football is by far the country's most popular sport. It's unmatchable in participation and following, and yet it always seems to be the one that's playing second fiddle to the so-called elite codes. Cricket, rugby, and golf have all been given the nod with varying degrees of healthy and safety protocols, but the stringest conditions have been reserved for football. A two-week million-dollar bubble concept is being peddled for a sport that can ill-afford such an ill-conceived idea. In truth, it smacks of tokenism and a waste of resources that could be better channeled towards the demands of next season or future national team assignments. It could be... Uh, listen... We've got AFCON qualifiers. We've got the Chan tournament in Cameroon in January that we need to participate in. Why not channel that million dollars towards those causes instead of coming up with this uh, ludicrous bubble concept just because it was done in South Africa, just because it was done in Europe? I think it would be irresponsible to spend that sort of money for a kickabout that in truth is of no benefit save for optics. The impression that something was done and a desire to give a semblance of a fair opportunity for players to be selected for the champ tournament in January next year. The plan for return to action also begs the following questions. Why a bubble for football and nothing for rugby? which with its mix of scrums, rucks and malls is perhaps the most intimate sport of all. Why a bubble for the Premier Soccer League and none for Zimbabwe Cricket's National Premier League, which has just been concluded rather successfully, but without that millstone around its neck? Granted, I mean, several and successive Zifa administrations haven't exactly helped to position football as a productive and professionally run sport. But equally complicit have been those that have turned their noses up at the beautiful game simply because they could not relate to it. Now, you know, when I was in O-Level, we did the novel Animal Farm for Literature. It's a novel written by George Orwell, and I think it sums it up best. The pigs, if you're familiar with the novel with the story, the pigs who controlled the farm initially gave the impression that all animals were equal. But as they gained more control and began to enjoy the benefits that came with power, it soon became apparent that all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. That is the most famous quote from the book, The Allegory is a fine illustration of sport in this country. All sport is equal, but the truth is, some sporting codes are more equal than others. It does feel like high school all over again. And that's my take. Mike's take. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Mike's take and to tell somebody. Don't forget... 
You can follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Madura or catch him every weekday on ZFM Sports.